Welcome to Books and Sound. I'm your host, Don Beavers, and this episode contains a digitally remastered theatrical presentation of one of the great works of literature. Please remember to subscribe so that you can enjoy new episodes as they are released. This podcast is provided free and offered without commercial interruption. If you enjoy the episode, please leave us a positive review so that we can grow the podcast. Enjoy. The NBC University Theater brings you They Stoop to Folly by Ellen Glasgow, the fifth in our series of full-hour dramatizations of outstanding works in modern American and British fiction. When lovely woman stoops to folly and finds too late that men betray, what charm can soothe her melancholy? What arts can wash her guilt away? These lines by Oliver Goldsmith might well occupy the thoughts of Virginia's little page as he sits before the fire of his study. The time is the early 20s and a dark spring rain slants across High Street outside his window. But there are few spots in Queenborough, Virginia, more comfortable and comforting than the Little Page home. Mellowed, polished, and expensive, in a well-bred way, of course. Yes, Oliver Goldsmith's lines might well occupy the thoughts of Virginia's Little Page, but they do not. That is, not precisely... Yes, it is a nice fire. Well, crackle away. Soon it'll be spring and we'll have no further need for you. <laughs> spring, and about time, too. It has been a strange winter. Now, now I don't quite know whether I'm a disappointed idealist or whether my liver's acting up again. Probably just middle age or the after effects of the war. Funny. It was raining just like this that day last fall, and there was a fire like this at my office. Busy, Mr. Little Page? Hmm? Oh, not at all, Millie. Come in, enjoy the fire. Beautiful, isn't it? Lovely. Here are the papers on the Mitchell case. Hmm? Will you be in court today? <laughs> With a daughter returning from Europe, I should say not. You are happy, aren't you? Mm. Mary's a fine girl. You've no idea how much I've missed her. She'd have been home long ago, you know, but well, she felt it was her duty to remain with the Red Cross after the war. Balkan orphans and all that. Mr. Littlepage, hmm? now that she's coming back... Well, ma'am? Could you... Could you ask her about Martin? Right. Yes, of course. Martin Welding. I just have to know what's become of him. Millie. Millie, my dear, hasn't that man caused you enough unhappiness? No. Not a moment's unhappiness, Mr. Little Page. Obviously, he deserted you when you needed him most. He went away to war. He couldn't help that. Yes, he went away and left you unmarried and alone with your trouble. At least he could have helped that. He never knew. He still doesn't know that... For a few hours, he had to see yourself all this. Because I wanted to spare him. There was nothing he could do. <laughs> nothing. I wanted him to be happy. Martin isn't a fighter. He was so miserable himself at the thought of going to war. Well, the war's over now. But Martin is still Martin. He stayed in Paris because... because there was something he wanted. Something he could find only in Europe. Yes, definitely. Escape from his responsibilities. And... I'll ask Mary, of course. You know, I uh, wrote to her to try to look him up. That was six months ago. He'll come back, Mr. Little Page. 
We love each other. He can't forget that. But, Millie... Please. You've been very kind to me. Really much kinder than a father. But this is my life, Mr. Little Page. I have to live it. I want the freedom to choose the things I believe in. And I believe in Martin Weldon. With no regret? Oh, I know about regret, all right. The regret for what you've had doesn't last so long as the regret for what you've missed. And you'll defy all our social conventions to work out that philosophy. I won't defy them. I'll overlook them. Yes, but Millie... Look at my mother. She waited for father till she dried up to a husk. And all it did was drive him away. And now you're making her unhappy again. No, I didn't make her unhappy. She was born that way. And she couldn't bear the thought of my having happiness with Martin. Millie, you must never say such things. But it's true. Would you rather have deceit? I'd rather you showed respect for your mother. <laughs> that would be deceitful. Well, we're we're just arguing at cross purposes, Millie. I'll I'll speak to Mary. We'll find out about Martin Welding. Is that all? Yes, that's all. That's everything. <laughs> Millie Burden and Martin Welding. Millie had more than courage, and despite my protestations, I couldn't help but admire her. She'd flown in the face of Southern virtue and yet calmly refused to own up to the fact that she was a fallen woman. As my brother Marmaduke later pointed out, I think I resented that. I wanted her to be contrite or repentant or at least aware of her folly. But she merely loved. Not in the least like Aunt Agatha, wrapped in sin and rounding out a half-century of punishment for one ill-considered moment. Or, for that matter, like Amy Dalrymple, who wore her indiscretions with a certain tarnished freshness. Amy Dalrymple. Wonderful Amy. It had been twelve years. Yes. Virginia's. Oh, yes, my dear. You'll be leaving the office soon. We don't want to miss the train. Oh, Virginia's, it will be so nice to have Mary with us again. Victoria, I I confess I feel like an expectant lover. I, I'm leaving immediately. Oh, Virginia's. Yes, dear? Remember Amy Dalrymple? Uh, yes. Uh, yes, of course. You handled her divorce. She's returned from Europe, too. And brought quite a scarlet reputation with her for all her fine war record with the Red Cross. Yes, I've, I've heard. Uh, I'm leaving the office now. Goodbye, Virginia's. Uh, Amy. So she's returned. I wonder... I wonder... And so I walked home from the office that day. My joy at Mary's return was tempered by a certain sense of discontent. Perhaps it was the news of Amy Dalrymple's return. Amy Dalrymple. Frivolous Amy, the one woman in the world who made me realize that Victoria had every charm except the thrilling touch of human frailty. She was the only one who ever made me wonder if I might not have been happier with a woman who was sometimes indiscreet, but at least always amusing. It'd been almost 12 years since that August evening when, well, we might have had a love affair. I was shocked, not by my former rashness, but by my present sense of regret. Virginia's, Virginia's little page. Why, why, Mrs. Dalrymple, why, why to meet you on the street like this, why, what a pleasant surprise. Is it, Virginia? Well, of course it is, I, 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 I just heard of your return. Yes, I was in Europe when the war came and I simply stayed on. My, my daughter heard of your hospital work everywhere, right? even in the Balkans. Mary, was she in Red Cross work? Yes, and returning today, as a matter of fact. Strange coincidence. Two of you arriving so close together? Yes, but the war has been over for years. Oh, not over long enough to exhaust Mary's moral energy. She stayed on to organize a war orphanage in the Balkans. Ah, 
still an impressive collection of ideals and high principles. Mm, yes. But I have a feeling she's enjoyed the whole thing. And I've sometimes thought, Virginia, that the worst thing about the war was that so many of us who weren't hurt really enjoyed it. But when it was over? Oh, well, when it was over, we had nothing to fall back on. <laughs> nothing to do. Mm. Wasn't that way twelve years ago, Virginia? But you must have forgotten. Well, no. No, I haven't forgotten. Oh. A Amy, uh, why did you go away? Because I needed to learn about life. Or love. And uh, did you? Well, I learned there is little kindness in love, and that's what I wanted to find, Virginia's. And you didn't? No. Right. Amy, once I gave you kindness when you needed it. Kindness, Virginia's, but not love. Oh, but Amy... I'll be I... staying in Queenborough for a while. We'll have time to talk later. And so Amy Dalrymple came back into my life. It was a nice life, padded against the world by the Victorian idealism that had somehow continued to survive in my corner of Queenborough. Of course, there were some irregularities. I didn't approve of Millie Burden's conduct, but on the other hand, I didn't believe her to be incorrigible. And so I continued to walk home in the mist of pleasure as Mary's return, in a fog of confusion at Amy's appearance, and in the firm conviction that Millie's case had to be dealt with. Brother makes an appearance, and about time. Good afternoon, Mama Duke. What brings you here? Where's Victoria? Upstairs, resting from the shock of Mary's final reform. What are you babbling about? You mean you don't know? Well, of course I don't know. Well, it would seem that Mary's zest for philanthropy has reached a climax. She's not coming home alone. Not alone? Well, has she adopted a war orphan? It isn't an orphan, my dear brother. Well, well what, uh, a, a refugee? Well, not a Russian, Marmaduke. Hardly. Mary might sympathize with refugees, but she's hardly the kind of a girl to marry one. Marmaduke, please stop trying to break things gently to me. Very well, she's married. She... Married? Quite. To who? Seems they were married five months ago. Victoria just received a wire a few minutes ago. Five months ago? She never wrote us a word of it. It appears that when she met him, it, he was in some kind of trouble. Mary feels that she saved his life. But who is he? What is he? Evidently, but... she had to go to Europe to marry a young man from Queenborough. From Queenborough? Mm hmm Do you know his name? Yes, it's right here on the wire. Uh, Martin. Martin Welding. I had hoped that you'd take my sister's latest gesture a little more philosophically. Duncan, please. Your father and I are both quite distressed. Yeah. Might well have been worse, considering Mary's thoroughness. She might have brought home a whole asylum instead of a husband. I can't understand why she married him. Well, perhaps she wanted to make an honest man of him. Your tone is offensive, sir. Oh, I'm sorry, Dad. I was just trying to be cheerful. Hey, come along, Duncan. We'll check the arrival time. Oh, dear. Please, Victoria, my dear. They'll be here any minute. We must pull ourselves together. Welding. There used to be a family of that name. Confound it. I don't care about his family. We, we must be fair, Victoria. We'll suspend judgment until we see him. Virginius, hmm. where will they sleep? I just can't bear the idea of putting a strange man in Mary's room. Yes, well, he's hardly a strange man. He's her husband, and he has been for some months. Yeah, coming, Virginia. Oh, huh? there she Where? is. Mary! Oh, Mary! Mary, over here. Father. Mary, Mary, my child. Why? Why, you're even lovelier than I remembered. Oh, you. and happier than I've ever been. Oh, father, mother. Mary. This Mary. is Martin, my husband. 
I wanted to bring him to you as a surprise. But Martin thought we'd better send a wire. Well, this is a surprise. Surprise indeed. Of course, you uh, you must give us a little time before we're expected to call it a pleasure. Oh, I shall never expect that of you, Mr. Little Page. Yes. Well, uh, come along up to the house, all of you. Mary and her mother have gone upstairs for a talk. You think we'd better have one, too. That's why I asked you into the library. I wonder if I could have a drink. I feel as if I were giving way somewhere inside. Certainly. I'll take one with you. It uh, isn't a habit, is it? It used to be. But Mary doesn't allow habits in marriage. I suspect she married me because she saved my life. She's my good angel, you know. Here's drink. Now, uh, if I may ask, what uh, plans have you made for the future? Absolutely none. That's scarcely commendable. Oh, it isn't so bad as that. I suppose I'll find something to do. I've worked in a bank. Mary says Uncle Daniel can do something for me. So you've worked in a bank, huh? Have you no other means of making a living? Well, I have been trying to write. Well, I don't imagine there's much in that, is there? <laughs> Not in Queensboro, anyway. You know, I've told Mary again and again, I'm not worth half what she's done for me. But she insists I'm all she thinks I am. I see. Well, let's hope that it turns out all right. Yes, let's hope so. Another drink? I'm awfully tired, Virginius. Mm. Please put out the light. Very well, there. Well, what were your impressions, my dear? Virginius, I must confess I simply cannot understand Mary. Oh, then you share my, well, not altogether favorable opinion of Martin. They seem to be still in love with each other. Being in love does establish some kind of congeniality, I suppose. But he isn't worthy of Mary. Poor, poor child. Why, she's trying her best to help him. Well, Mary is certainly better prepared than most women to bring out the best in a man. Mm -hmm. She's like yourself in that respect, my dear. (laughs) Why would Mary do such a thing? You talk to her, Victoria, she must have some explanation. Well, when she found him in that French hospital, he was suffering a complete nervous collapse because his writing had been such a failure. Mary saved his life. Yes, it's all very well, but what about Millie's life? After all, I I, I do feel some responsibility. If I hadn't asked Mary to find Martin, this would never have happened. I know how terribly you must feel, my dear. But Mary tells me that she tried with all her power to make him go back to the other woman. And a man in love can seldom be trusted, you know. It seems to me that a woman in reform can be trusted even less. Virginius, you can't mean that about Mary. She did take another woman's man, Victoria. Well, I suppose we must stand by her now and try to help her. Don't feel too harshly, Virginius. She's our daughter. And you've always been so generous in helping others... There was Amy Dalrymple. Yes, sir. You tried so hard to protect her when her husband brought that horrible divorce suit against her. <coughs> uh, uh, well, that that was a long time ago, my dear. Long, long ago. Yes. Uh, good night, Victoria. We'll speak of it in the morning. Hmm? I'm afraid I must confess to being one of those pillars of Virginian society that are held up right by the firm support of women's influence. But in those days, Victoria's support lacked its usual security. New problems had entered our lives. Mary and Martin and my responsibility to Millie Burden and an old one had returned, Amy Dalrymple. Nearly 50 and as handsome as ever. 
more lovely and graceful than most women are half her age. Oh, how could I think of Amy at that time? There were so many other things to do. The next day I went to see Millie at her mother's home, a ramshackle untidy house in which my brother Marmaduke rented a studio. Just about tonight. I expected you. Well, won't you ask me in? Come in. I see you've heard, my dear. Your brother told me. Frankly, child, I came prepared for tears, but not for this. This, uh, iciness. Yes, of course. Your code demands something other than this, doesn't it? Gentle hysterics, perhaps, or a decade or two of seclusion. Millie, Millie, how can you be so careless? I had a right to my life, Mr. Little Page. If I spoiled it, that's my affair. Not yours or Mother's or Martin's or anyone else's. I, I, I just wish there was something I could do. I, I can't help but feel that I'm to blame. No. No one's to blame. I asked you to have a try to find him. You meant to be kind. But it was a mistake, child. Mine, not yours. Well, I'm sure that Mary must have felt she was doing the right thing. Yes. The right thing is always what she does. So high-minded and unselfish. You mustn't be hard and bitter. I want to be hard and bitter. What's the good of anything except being hard and bitter? But your life isn't over. One, one must always hope for the best. Yes, you can say that. But for me, there isn't any best. Even if there is, I don't want it. All right. Then what do you want? To be happy. That's all. Is it too much? Millie, Millie, I wish happiness for you. You know that. But happiness isn't a right. It, it, it's a blessing. Then I have a right to a blessing. It hurts me to hear you talk that way, Millie. Now, if there's nothing more I can do for you, I'll go up to Marmaduke's studio. I hope you enjoy your visit. Mother's up there. Goodbye, my dear. Advice is worth so little, my dear lady, that I hesitate to inflict it upon you. But, well, we have a visitor. Mrs. Burden, Marmaduke. Oh, Virginia's. I was just about to tell Mrs. Burden here that if she needed the opinion of a man of sense, she'd better consult you. It's Millie, Mr. Little Page. Oh, what about her? I keep reminding her that I have a right to her confidence, but it's no use. She never tells me anything. And Mrs. Burden was just reproaching me. She says that I encourage this sinful attitude. Oh, it seems to me, dear lady, that her attitude is commendable. Ah, oh, Mr. Littlepage, I shouldn't have believed that you'd encourage Millie. I'm only trying to help her make something of her life. And there's the rub. Mrs. Burden objects to what she feels is an immodest recovery from masculine wives. Well, it all comes from this wild living since the war. Silk stockings and short dresses could only end in immorality. Your view, dear lady, appears to me to be entirely too hopeless. Well, it's none of my doing. I've always done the best I could with Millie. Mrs. Burden, isn't it true that your first consideration must be your daughter's welfare? Her eternal welfare, Mr. Littlepage. What? Well, you can mean that you wish to see her suffer on earth. Well, doesn't the Bible warn us that there's no salvation for the sinner except through repentance? And what does Millie say to all this? Oh, she has no sense of shame. She says only that her life is her own, that she has no regrets. Well, I expect the truth of the matter is the world has never been quite fair to women. Men have never been quite fair to women. Not even in Queenborough. Ah, it seems like a long time ago now. Life for me had abruptly lost its sweetness, and in some mysterious fashion the loss was tied to Amy Dalrymple's return. Her presence ran through all my thoughts in those days, and selfishly I wondered if perhaps in another life I might have had a different love. Or with another love I might have had a different life. 
it was not at all fair to Victoria. From Hollywood, the NBC University Theater is bringing you a dramatization of the Ellen Glasgow novel, They Stoop to Folly, the fifth in our new series of radio plays based on outstanding works of modern Anglo-American fiction. And here to serve as our intermission commentator is Mr. Harrison Smith, the distinguished author, editor, and president of the Saturday Review of Literature. His comments on today's novel gain added interest from the fact that he was also a close personal friend of Ellen Glasgow. Now here is Harrison Smith speaking to you from New York. In the whole American literary scene, you could not find two writers more unlike than Theodore Dreiser and Ellen Glasgow, or two novels as far apart as the book discussed last week by Clifton Fadiman, Dreiser's The American Tragedy, and She Soups to Folly one of Miss Glasgow's 20 novels. It is the difference between a powerful giant laying about him with a bludgeon and a delicate, determined woman armed with caustic wit and a subtle gift for social satire. Ellen Glasgow had the distinction of being a great lady and an even greater writer. From her secluded and beautiful home in Richmond, she punctured southern literary pretensions, destroyed the sentimentality, the old hothouse atmosphere of moonshine and magnolias, with tame Negroes singing off stage. She revealed the arrogant hypocrisy behind the southern gentleman's traditional attitude toward marriage, toward his ladies, and especially toward his fallen women. Behind its half-humorous, polite, and entertaining facade, she stoops to folly as a savage book. For Ellen Glasgow was a feminist, among other things, and she wanted to free women from the tyranny of dead conventions. The tragedy is the impact of fresh ideas of freedom on people who regard social and sexual change with horror. The comedy lies in the sparkling and sardonic manner in which an altered world is discussed by the characters. Miss Glasgow's sentences glitter like gems on every page so that a single phrase may illustrate her character's life and thought. Here is Mr. Littlepage musing on his wife. I ought to be thankful that Victoria has never lost control of herself since she married me. Or he had learned in time to feel the pride of a husband in his wife's natural frigidity. Another, it was a comfort to remember that like all pure women everywhere, she was satisfied with monogamy. Or on woman in general, never had woman appeared more desirable than in the sheltered garden of southern tradition, those legendary periods when she had disposed her limbs in the classic posture of waiting. The qualities that made Ellen Glasgow a writer, who will always be read, are in this book. It is no wonder that the southern literary renaissance of 20 years ago began with her. Nor was her work devoted entirely to a wilting aristocracy. Her sense for realism and her hatred of hypocrisy led her to lower levels of southern life, and one or two of her early books were a passionate revolt. Her books are as fresh and even as startling today as they were when they were first written. It is safe to say that she belongs to the permanent literature of this country. She is one of the wittiest of all women writers and perhaps our greatest woman novelist. Thank you, Mr. Smith. Our dramatization continues from Hollywood after a brief pause for station identification. wasn't a very happy winter for any of us. Even Victoria, usually so calm and sure of herself, seemed tired and ill. Martin was, to put it kindly, unpredictable. And even Victoria seemed worried about it at times. But he was working at Daniel's bank, and we didn't expect that he and Mary would remain in our home much longer. I can't say we were disappointed. Millie? Well, 
Millie Burden was still a problem. A problem created as much by her mother as by Martin Welding. Only Aunt Agatha seemed to be untouched by the events which had clouded the lives of the rest of us. Agatha and, of course, Marmaduke. Agatha? No, thank you. Uh, Virginius, how is the burden girl getting along? Well, I'm not quite sure. She doesn't display the high-mindedness which one feels is correct, but on the other hand... On the other hand, she's acting like a perfect lady instead of a perfect tradition. Oh, I admit I may be old-fashioned. But But you're offended. Now I'll tell you why. I think I shall have another cup of tea. Of course, dear. With all due respect to our aunt, We're trying to draw a parallel between Millie and Agatha. Agatha may be a fallen woman, but she's paid the price. (gasps) Self-imposed imprisonment in a mid-Victorian cell of righteousness. Marmaduke, you might show a little consideration. I I don't think I'll want this tea after all. Now there, Aunt Agatha. Marmaduke, we've discussed it so many times before. I, I believe there are certain standards, certain conventions which must be lived up to. You do not live up to them. And there's an end to it. Well, then... If you'll excuse me, I don't want to be late. The movies, you know. Of course, my dear. You do enjoy them, don't you? But are you going alone? I like to go alone. But I met Amy Dalrymple in the street this morning. She offered to drive me. Aunt Agatha, you must not let Mrs. Dalrymple impose on you. Oh, come now, my dear. Please, Virginius. Agatha, I'd rather not say anything against her, but... She has always been a rather pushing person. I'm sure she doesn't mean to be pushing. I really think she feels sorry for me. She's only trying to be kind. I'm sure you don't need her sympathy, dear Agatha. I suppose it didn't occur to her that she could harm my reputation. Don't you think, Victoria, we may leave Aunt Agatha free to pick her own associates? Really, Virginius, after what Agatha's been through, Mrs. Dalrymple is hardly a suitable companion. Definitely wasn't a very happy winter. Sitting before the fire now, I realize that something was happening to me and to my world. I was fighting to preserve a world of manners and, and customs that had been dashed to death by the war. I hadn't Marmaduke's flexibility. What he saw and accepted, I ignored and refused. And poor Victoria, so noble and for the first time so helpless. And Mary brought problems which even Victoria scarcely knew how to solve. Mother, here you are in the library. Just resting, my dear. I looked for you earlier, but you must have been out. I dropped in on Dr. Buchanan for a few minutes. Oh, Oh, I've been feeling rather tired lately. Just for a checkup. Oh, Mother, is there anything wrong? Of course not. But don't say anything to your father. He becomes so concerned. Well, if you're sure. Yes. Um, Mother, there's something I want to ask you to do for me. Anything, my dear. It's about Martin. I'm afraid he isn't very happy. Doesn't he care for his work at the bank? Oh, well enough, I expect. But he's so restless. He keeps wanting us to get a place of our own. And wouldn't you like that? No, not now. I wish you'd speak to him about it. Tell him that it's best for us to stay here. But, Mary, that hardly seems necessary. Oh, but it is now. It's very necessary. (sighs) Mother... I'm going to have a baby. Oh, my child, how wonderful. Why haven't you told us before? Because things are so unsettled. But this will make all the difference in the world. Why, I'm sure that Martin will understand why you should stay with us here. It's his writing. He seems to feel that he might do better somewhere else. I'll speak to him. He'll realize that that's not the most important thing right now. Mother, 
This will make a difference, won't it? Of course, dear. A family is probably what he needs. He's so weak. The responsibility will strengthen his character. With your help, Mary. Yes. He's so dependent on me, Mother. He calls me his good angel. I try so hard to be. I'm sure you are, my dear. I can't help feeling that I did right in saving him from that woman. She wasn't the right kind of girl for Martin, Mother. No. No, I, I suppose not. I just can't understand, Father. Having her in his office even now. Well, after all, that's really for him to decide. And the girl does have to earn her living. Oh, of course. I wouldn't want to interfere with that. Then what do you wish? Well, Mother, it does seem that she could work somewhere else. Your father says that she has mentioned going away. Well, then why doesn't she go? Well, perhaps we can make some arrangement. I understand she and her mother both live on Millie's salary. So if Millie were to leave town, something would have to be done about her mother. Mother? Yes? What about the House of Hope? You were saying that they do need a new matron to watch over the girls. Mary, do you think... Well, Mrs. Burden is perfectly respectable, isn't she? Oh, yes, yes, she's more than respectable. And she's had experience in dealing with that type of girl, right in her own daughter. Mother, why, that would be the answer to everything. And so Mary is expecting to become a mother, my dear. Uh -huh. So soon? Uh, well, I hope she's pleased. She's delighted. But it's not so soon, Virginius. They were married last spring. Uh, yes. Well, better late than never. Virginius, I don't know what's come over you. Hmm? You seem to grow more flippant every day. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, my dear. However, if Mary is pleased, my attitude doesn't really make much difference, does it? That's exactly it, Virginius. Mary has been worrying over your attitude. And, of course, any worry is bad for her. She didn't help much by bringing Martin into our house. Victoria, I just can't stomach that fellow. But for her sake, dear, I wish you would try to talk with him. He's so restless and erratic lately. There's no wonder he walks the streets half the night. At least that's what he says he does. Sometimes when he's so late, I almost wonder if he's seeing that girl again. Millie? Why, nonsense. Well, uh, if he is, it won't be for long. What's that, my dear? Are you coming to bed soon, Virginius? In a minute, when I finish my cigar. see, Mrs. Burden, we feel that you may be just the person we're looking for. Mm, it is a fine position, matron in the house of hope. Those girls need a strong hand. I feel I could do some good there. And Mrs. Burden, Millie could leave Queenborough if you were provided for. And who would provide for her, I'd like to know. What would become of her if she didn't have me to advise her? She has her mistakes to live down. But don't you see, she might be able to forget the past more easily this way. To forget her mistakes. Well, I'm not sure I hold with that, Mrs. Littlepage. To my way of thinking, we must repent for our mistakes, not forget them. Nevertheless, I suppose we must make allowances for the changing times, for the unsettled conditions since the war. Well, it'd take more than a war to make me forget my behavior. Hello, Mother. Millie. Your oh, company. Why, yes, Millie. We're talking about you. It must be a pleasant chat, Mrs. Littlefield. We were discussing your desire to go away, my dear. I was thinking that perhaps it might help if your mother accepts a position with one of our charitable institutions, the House of Hope. And have you accepted, Mother? Well, I, I don't know what to think. Millie, I just couldn't let you go to New York by yourself. Oh, but I could get on perfectly well, Mother, and I'd be free. Well, you may think you can manage so easily without me, Millie, never giving a thought to anything I've done for you. But you'll be sorry when I'm gone. I'm sorry now, Mother. I've always been sorry. But I do want my own life. I do want to try to live. 
I don't have much to give you, Millie. Nothing but a mother's love and a mother's prayers. You could love me and pray for me in New York just as well as here. Mrs. Burden, couldn't you take the position just for a few months until she gets settled? But I just couldn't sleep at night thinking of Millie alone in New York. Perhaps we'd all better take a little time to think things over. I'll be running along. I'm not asking for much. Only a little time by myself. Only a chance to try to live. I have a right to that. Of course you have, child. Good night. Good night, Miss Littlepage. I rather think she'll take it. Sure, it'll be best all around. Why, who's that? Oh, no. What can he be doing here at this hour? Martin Welding. She's not well this morning. I told her to stay in bed. As for Martin, he never gets up until the last minute. Hmm. Well, I dare say he contracted that habit from literature. Scarcely a thing for a business career. He complains that he can't sleep nights. Pass the butter, please. Do you know when he came in? Thank you, dear. I'll let him in at one o'clock. He'd forgotten his key. Said Hmm. he'd been out for a walk. I do wish he'd come home earlier. It keeps Mary up so late when she needs the sleep. But where does he walk to at that hour of the night? Virginius, I, I must talk to you alone. Yes, of course, my dear. Will you excuse us, Agatha, Duncan? We'll be right back. Hmm? No, Virginius. I, yes. I, uh, I visited Mrs. Burden last night. What on earth? I offered her a position with the House of Hope. You... It was the only way to make it possible for Millie to leave. Victoria did... Don't you think we've interfered enough? Perhaps not nearly enough. What do you mean? When I left the Burden place, I saw Martin. He must have been there for a purpose. Hmm? You mean you think he and Millie Burden... I don't know what to think. All I know is that I saw Mary's husband in the Burden neighborhood. Oh, well, that's preposterous. Millie hates him now as strongly as she loved him once. Perhaps. But you must find out, Virginius. You mean you want me to ask? You must, my dear. But, Victoria, the girl's unhappy enough. Now such a question would only serve to open up the old wounds. Your daughter may someday be wounded too, Virginius. Martin Welding was Millie's love. Mary made him her own. If anyone must suffer, why should it be Millie? Because Mary is our daughter. Very well, Victoria. We'll see. I'll, I'll talk to her. Somehow I, I, I couldn't bring myself to ask her if she'd been seeing Martin. It was like piling cruelty upon cruelty. And for the, for the first time in my life, I was sick of doing my duty of noble motives which created noble problems. Millie Burden was going away. Let her go in peace. And perhaps Millie was right, and I'd been wrong. I'd never really dared to live. Not as she'd dared. There was spring in the air that day, but I was still living in the dead of winter. And that night, the light in Amy Dalrymple's window across the street looked, well, just like a star. And I wondered what might have happened if I'd followed my impulse that night twelve years before. If I hadn't lost my courage. I, I wonder if... Why, Virginius, won't you come in? Why, I... Good evening, Amy. Uh, I, I, I merely stopped in to tell you I've straightened out all your legal matters so that your return to Europe won't be delayed. Virginius, is uh, that the only reason you came to see me? Why, yes. I, I mean, uh, no. 
I mean, Amy, I wanted to see you again because... Because 12 years ago we might have found happiness together. Because I do need that happiness now. Oh, Virginius, you did make me happy. Only I could make you realize how much you have helped Oh, I me. wish I could have done more for you. I, I can do more now, Amy, if you let me. Well, I haven't any life now. I live only in the past. Boy, but that's a mistake, my dear. The past is over. Why, you're still young. Oh. Very, very beautiful. Oh, please, Virginius. I was a beauty, but in a different period. Ah, we had hearts in those days. Oh. Oh, Amy, Amy, why can't we forget our memories? This is the present. This is us. Now. You have changed, Virginia. Remember that night you kissed me? And then went away? Yes. That's why I left Queenborough 12 years ago, because, Virginia, I thought you no longer respected me. Oh, how could you, Amy? Why, well, it, it was just that I feared we might be making a mistake. Truly, I blamed only myself. Oh, but was there anyone to blame, Virginius? Or is it just that I was so weak and you seemed so strong? And I needed someone's strength so much. And you need it now, Amy? Yes, I need it now. Then I offer you mine. I wonder if this time you really need. Of course I mean it. Oh, Amy, don't you understand that oh, you... Oh, and, it's just and, a telephone uh, in the hall. The maid will answer it. Yes, go on, Virginia. Huh? Oh, I, I, was, I was saying I... Uh, well, it's late, Amy. I'd I better go. Must you, Virginia? Oh, yes, but uh, I'll, I'll come again. Do you promise? Yes, perhaps tomorrow. Virginia, you can't go now. Oh, but I, I, I can't stay. You know that, Amy. I... I'll come back as soon as I can. Just as soon as I can arrange it. Good night. Good night, then, Virginia. Oh. Why, why did I say I had to go? Perhaps I'm not cut out for a philanderer after all. Huh? Maybe I'll see her again. At least I can look Victoria in the eye. I wonder if... if... <laughs> oh, I, I beg your pardon. Hey. Martin. Oh, it's you, is it? Anything wrong? <laughs> is anything right? Wait. You look as if you're in pain. I'm in misery, if that interests you. It distresses me. Distresses you? I've come to the end of my rope. How much longer can I stand it? Stand what, my boy? Oh, the whole thing. Life now. Talk sense. Why should I? I'm not normal. I'm not rational. Look, can't you understand this? I've had enough of women. I want to get away from every woman on earth. Then why did you marry? I... Why? Why, I hoped that Mary could change me. She wanted to help you. I should have known no one can help me. Well, my boy, this is hardly the time to think of that. Oh, good Lord, don't you think I realize what's happening? I can't make her happy. Nobody can make another person happy. Have you tried? Tried? Why else would I work in that accursed bank? I tell you, I'm smothering. Martin, Martin, pull yourself together. Oh, we can't settle this out here. Come in the house and tomorrow... I wasn't coming in. I was going for a walk. Well, there's no way to try to collect yourself. Come back into the house. You need a stiff drink anyway. Well, I... Oh, all right, then. Wait for me in the library, Martin. I want to speak to Victoria. Father! Father! Mary, what is it? Oh, Father. It's Mother... Father, I tried to wake her. I couldn't wake her. Oh, Father, she's dead. No one in the world could love her as I do. I know, my darling, I know. I I think I never really understood her. I never really appreciated her goodness. Why, why she must have lived in anguish this last year. And I... I never even suspected that 
she was dying. The letter, Father. Please read it. Okay. Dated last December. My dear husband, I have known for almost six months that I have a very short while to live. And my one effort has been to to spare you and the children to keep you from suspecting. Nothing I know can spoil this last winter or perhaps year that we shall all have together. But before it's too late, there's something I wish to see. It stops, Mary. Really, she didn't have to write the rest of that sentence. Why, she said it with her entire life. And that was the end. An hour before Victoria died, I was weary with her goodness. Ah, I was almost faithless to her in spirit. I don't think that ours was the perfect love. But we possessed the perfect marriage. We had each other's respect and each other's kindness. And that, I suppose, is all anyone can ask. And the world was left, the world without Victoria. I'm sorry, Virginius. I'm sure the Victoria didn't approve of me, but on the other hand, I approved of her. I'm sorry about Victoria. Hmm. Has Mary come in from the cemetery yet? Yes, she went directly to her room. She's not at all herself right now. I'm sure she didn't intend to avoid you, Mom, and you? That does seem strange. One might have supposed Mary losing her morals more readily than her manners. At a time like this, Mom, and Duke, I think there's no need to jest. Or perhaps all the more need, my dear Virginius. Father. Hmm? Father. It's Martin. What? Well, Mary, what is it? He's gone. He's left me. Forever, he said. Please, please, Mary, we have a guest. Mom, at you... But you don't understand. He's gone. Martin's gone. He'll never come back. Mary, what are you saying? I found a note in my room. But Mary, are you sure? What does the note say? That he's gone. That he's never coming back. Oh, Father, we must find him. We must look for him. But, Mary, you can't. Not in your condition. Mama Duke, help me stop her. Tell her. If you were going to stop her, Virginius, you should have started 20 years ago. Mary, where do you want me to go? I'm going to Millie Burden. I'm going to ask if she knows where he is. Well, do you realize what you're saying? You'd go to her? Mama Duke, what do you think of all this? The poor devil. Put a handsome weakling like that in a woman's world and you'd be merciful to hang him. But I, I tried so hard. I made every sacrifice. Now he's gone to that other woman. Millie Burden. <laughs> Don't be too sure, Mary. Besides, you can't go there, right? I refuse to allow a daughter of mine to go to another woman to ask for her husband. I want him back, Father. I must find him. But your pride, Mary, your pride. Pride has nothing to do with it now. No matter what happens, I must save him. Mama, do you help me? Are you coming or not, Father? Do you want me to go alone? I... All right, Mary. All right, I'll go with you. So we've come to your own home, Millie, to ask you. Have you seen Martin Weldy? Yes, I've seen him. Martin was here. He came here, but he didn't stay. I thought... I thought you might help me find him. You came for that? For my help? Yes. 
How it must have hurt you. Will you help me? If it were in my power, I don't know whether I would or not. But I know only that he said he had to go away. That he had to go away from here. And then he left. Then, then he didn't ask you. He didn't ask you to... No, he didn't ask me to go with him. And I wouldn't have gone if he did. Well, it's good riddance, as long as he's going alone. Oh, he's gone alone, all right. He thought he wanted me, but... Yes. But all he really wants is loneliness. All I want is for him to be happy. If you could make him happier don't than say I... It. I couldn't make him happier. And I don't want him. What I want is something worth loving. And I'm going away to look for it. Well, I hope you find it, my dear, and... I hope that you recognize it if you do find it. At least I'm free to look. Free to begin everything again. Come, Mary, we better go home. Yes, Father. Let's go home. You know, I... I have a feeling that if we wait, he'll come back again. Yes. Doesn't everything come back if you wait until you've stopped wanting it? Perhaps. Perhaps. But, in the meanwhile, Mary, the important thing is to bring a happy child into the world. My child? I'd almost forgotten. We can't forget now. Yes, my dear, you must be brave. We must try to do the best we can. fire's almost out, and there will be another spring. Perhaps things haven't gone too well, but at least I've been true to my principles, and for a Virginian gentleman, that makes life almost complete. But somehow, somehow I wonder. <laughs> I wonder if it really is middle age. I suppose it is. I don't fancy myself as a disappointed idealist. Victoria wouldn't like that at all. The curtain falls on the fifth in our new series of radio plays based on outstanding works in modern Anglo-American fiction. Today, the NBC University Theater has brought you Richard Allen Simmons' radio play based on an adaptation by Jack C. Wilson of the Ellen Glasgow novel They Stooped to Folly, with Paul Fries as Virginia's little page. Our cast included Jane Webb, Lynn Whitney, Stephen Chase, Georgia Backus, Maya Gregory, Jack Edwards, Gail Bonney, Gloria Ann Simpson, and Shep Mencken. Our intermission commentator was Mr. Harrison Smith, distinguished author, editor, and president of the Saturday Review of Literature. Next week at this time, the NBC University Theater turns to the work of John Galsworthy. Nigel Bruce will be our star, and Mr. James Hilton will be our commentator as we present an adaptation of the famous Galsworthy play entitled Justice. <laughs> Your director was Andrew C. Love. Original music for They Stoop to Folly was composed by Albert Harris and conducted by Henry Russell. Productions of the NBC University Theater are currently being used in conjunction with a course in Anglo-American fiction at the University of Louisville.
This program came to you from Hollywood. Remember to hear The Big Five tonight. Five of the funniest shows in radio. Start with Ozzie and Harriet, then listen straight through for Jack Benny, Phil Harris and Alice Faye, Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy, and Fred Allen with guest Dale Carnegie. For the best time of your life, the best time is tonight on most of these NBC stations. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company.